Here's the thing, our children will live with us for about 18 years, and then we will likely continue an adult relationship with them for another 40 or 50 years. Lifelong relationships are built on love, trust, respect, and openness, and you cannot spend 18 years bossing someone around, not caring if they hate you, and then expect to have it all be a different relationship when they're an adult who's out of your house and no longer has to obey your rules. everyone. I'm Denise Gorin. Welcome to Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. Thanks for joining us as we speak with experts, authors, parents, and even young adults to explore the transition from parenting our young children to building healthy relationships with our now adults. Hopefully we'll grow together, learn about ourselves, our young adults, and of course, when to bite our tongues. We are so happy you're with us. So let's get started. Everyone, welcome to another episode of Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. Before I get started, I wanted to give a shout out to a few listeners who supported us by buying a cup of coffee or two, or buying a Bite Your Tongue mug or two. You know, when you buy a cup of coffee, it's really very virtual. It's just a donation to help us, and the donation can be as little as $5. So thanks so much to Sheila, John, Gloria, and Ben. We appreciate your support. Today, we're chatting with Tracy Hargan. For those of you who follow us on social media, we shared an article written by Tracy for Grown and Flown titled, Now That My Children Are Grown, What Is My Purpose? We loved the story and did some further research on Tracy and found that although she continues to work in corporate America, she's become a well-known mental health advocate and is a regular contributor to Grown and Flown on many topics that relate to building healthy relationships with your adult children. So today we're going to talk to Tracy about so many things. So let's get started. Welcome, Tracy. Why don't you tell us a bit about your journey to becoming such an avid contributor to Grown and Flown and sort of all of your interest in mental health and empty nest and parenting adult children. Tell us how it began. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Denise. It's really great to talk to you today. You know, I would say for as long as I can remember, writing was a way for me to process my feelings and to express myself. Um, And as our two boys got older, I decided to write them a letter about all the memories I had of them growing up. I got this inspiration from a book Kelly Corrigan did called The Middle. And while I was writing this, at one point, I was writing about how my husband and I had made the conscious decision to be friends with them to treat them the way we would treat a friend with respect, understanding, dignity, kindness. Um, And after writing this piece, I read it to my husband and I made the decision to send it to Grown and Flown. So I had come across Grown and Flown, their their website a few years before that. And I just loved, I know you know about it, but you know, it's a website for um, parents of older kids. And I saw that they were accepting contributions from outside uh, writers. And so I thought, what do I have to lose? So I sent it in. And I'll tell you, Denise, when they reached out to say they wanted to publish it, you would have thought I had won the lottery. I mean, I was jumping around this office, overjoyed, couldn't wait to tell my husband. And but more importantly, it just gave me that boost of confidence that I needed to continue writing. And so I kept writing and kept submitting pieces and they kept getting published. And when I'm writing, I'm not thinking about 
Will this get published? What will people think? Will it resonate with people? And I don't censor myself. So I'm really writing for me or like I'm talking to a family member or a friend. And then when I'm done, I you know decide, do I think this is something that might resonate with other people and give it a shot? And I know that this is what allows me to really have an authentic voice. And I think it's why it resonates with so many people. And by the way, for anyone listening to this, if you're thinking about starting something or trying something new, don't let anything stand in your way. If I thought about each time I wrote something, will this get published? Um, It would not have the same connotation. It would be written in a place of fear. I would never have taken that first step. And sometimes you really have to take a leap of faith and say, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? They reject it. Okay, so what? I'll move on. And um, I think sometimes we have to put ourselves out there if you want to grow. And it's never too late. This is kind of what it taught me. It's never too late to take that first step because that first piece being published went on to be many more pieces published on many more websites. Oh, and you've been on the Today Show, CBS Morning News. You've been everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to say I love. I know this isn't sort of what we're talking about, but I love that you said this because particularly women, I don't know why women, when I heard you say when it got published, you thought you'd won the lottery. Recently, something happened. I hate doing visual things, you know, and I had to do a conference and I had to talk visually and I was so nervous and up all night and, you know, talking to my sisters, my makeup on right, you know, and the lady afterwards said, I've interviewed so many people, you're my favorite. And just those words, I know that (laughs) sounds crazy, but it shows what insecurities we have. You know, and I went, what? Thank you. Um, So when you said that, I identified with what, I don't know why we don't have the confidence to put ourselves out there. Yeah, but you know what? This is so universal. And again, I know that's not what we're here to talk about, but we'll get there. Yeah. But I just have to tell you this. I heard Oprah say one time, the one thing that anyone asks her when they, when she's done interviewing them, and it doesn't matter if it's a, you know, everyday person or Beyonce top celebrity. They ask, did I do okay? Did you get what you wanted? Isn't that interesting? It's all of us. It doesn't really matter what your credentials are. We all want to know at the end, did I do okay? And when we hear, even if we just hear, yeah, that was fine. We're like, okay, I was all right. So I don't even think it's you, me, women. I think it's just, that's human nature. And I just found that fascinating. I wanted to share that. Interesting. Well, thanks for sharing that because- We're going to talk a little bit about that further. But first, I want to start with something we talked about in our pre-interview. And actually, my son is visiting right now. Well, he's away now, but comes back on Thursday. And one of the things you wrote about, or we talked about, and I think you've written about, is how to have good, casual, I want to say friendship conversations with your adult children. I'm going to interview someone later on, and I was doing some research on him. Gabor Mate, I'm interviewing his son, Daniel, and they've written this book on adult children. And he said, parenting is not a role, it's a relationship. Yes. Get rid of the role, it's a relationship. So as they become adult children, how do we develop that relationship? You know, I have a tendency, which I'm sure a lot of other parents do, of adult children, when the child lives out of town, they come home and you say, how's your job? Did you go to the doctor? Are you cooking? Are you going out? You don't talk to them like you would a friend. And I want to know, because I'm going to practice this. Whatever you say now, my son's coming back tomorrow, and I'm going to practice. So I want you to tell me how I start a friendly conversation. Because I might say, he's in Aspen for a work thing. You know, how was Aspen? Fine. Did you get to ski? Yeah. How was the snow? Good. 
that's what I'm going to get. Right. So I want you to help me and help the other listeners expand this conversation with him. Well, I love what your next guest said about getting rid of the roles and making it a relationship because what the conversation you just spoke about is mimicked throughout the world. Like when your kids get in the car, when they're little, how was school? Fine. What did you do? Played. You know, I mean, it's just, it's nothing, right? So they're still playing that role when we're adults. And sometimes we're still playing that role. So we have to get out of that and get into relationships. I couldn't agree with him more. And I do think because we've been building on this lifelong friendship for so many years, it does come very naturally out of genuine interest. However, when they visit, because my son, my sons live out of state too, when they visit or we go there, I do take the opportunity to go a little bit deeper. So for example, when we're sitting around, I might ask about their musical taste. I might say, what's your favorite song these days? When I asked this, my son's girlfriend shared what her most played song on Spotify was the year before, a song I'd never heard of. Oh, why do you like it? She played it for me. Oh my God, I loved it too. So I'm saying that because that might be something you would ask a friend. And there's so much insight. If your kids listen to music, the kind of music they listen to can tell you so much. So that's one thing. I might say, you know, what song do you listen to to pick you up? What song do you listen to when you're sad? What song do you listen to when you're when you're working out? And they'll play them for me. And I love it. It opens new doors for me. And I'll share mine with them as well. Over dinner might get a little bit deeper. So they know now that I'm going to do this. So I think they're somewhat prepared for these, you know, more in-depth questions. But I'll say things like, what was your favorite childhood memory? Like, I know maybe what my favorite childhood memory of theirs, of you know, them was. But I want to know from their point of view. And I've asked, um, what did you think all families did that you found out later they didn't? Or what did you think was normal because our family did it, but other families don't? Then I'll give you a quick example. Um, my son said, well, you know how we all sit around and play Jeopardy and answer the questions out loud? I go, yeah. And he said, well, I, I was w- dating this girl. And she was like, you guys actually answer the questions? <laughs> like, <laughs> he just thought that was normal. And, you know, and so I think you just learn so much. I've said, if you could travel anywhere, where would you go? What's your favorite family tradition from growing up? I I loved hearing some of those. And then um, one time we played this game. So I made sure my husband was on board so my sons wouldn't roll their eyes. But I said, we're going to play a game. It's called My Best Advice. I just made it up, Denise. That's great. And we took pieces of paper and we wrote down 10 pieces of advice, anything from really silly to very serious. And I just said, put whatever you want. There's no rules. When we folded them up, put them in a pile, and we read them out loud. And it was so fun reading because some of them were hilarious. Some of them were very serious. And we kind of guessed who wrote it, you know, and we played that for, and I've kept all of those. I think that's a great idea. I'm going to try that. I'm going to do it at dinner tomorrow night. (laughs) One other thing, I had a friend was going through therapy with his wife, and he realized he'd really not done some great things as a father. So he asked his grown kids, he said, I wish I could have done it differently. I want to be a better parent. I want you to be honest and tell me, what do you think I didn't do right as your father growing up? And he said, oh, let me tell you, when you ask that question, they have answers ready and they are brutally honest. (laughs) Well, and that's important, though, to listen. You know, we we did an interview on Father's Day and that was one of the it was about fathers or fathers and children. That was the one of the things he said. Be open to listen to that. You do. You have to be able to. And he said, I had to just sit there and take it because 
you can't start defending yourself why you were that way. You just have to listen. But it was so insightful. And the last thing I'll tell you is one year we did, we celebrate Christmas. We had stockings. They were all home. And each of us wrote a letter to the to, to all the others. So there's four of us. We each wrote a letter, handwritten, and put it in our stockings and read them on Christmas morning. And I'm telling you, I've never received a better gift that I will hold on to forever. Everyone wrote to everyone. So you had four yes. of you. had one from your husband and one from your two sons. So you had exactly. three letters. Okay. Yes. And it was unbelievable. I think they said things in those letters that... Maybe I think I knew, but they had never actually said. And I think it was easier to write it than to say it, you know, face to face. So it doesn't have to be for Christmas. It could just be, hey, for my birthday, this is what I'd like to do. Mm -hmm. Those are some of my suggestions. So let's talk about something you just said at the beginning, that when you raised your sons, and you have sons, which many people say don't speak their emotions so much. And I have a son and a daughter. My son is probably more emotional and more Forthgiving, is that what I what the word Forthcoming. I Forthcoming. Thank you yeah. very much. You're the writer. Um, <laughs> anyway, and you talked about how you purposely raised them with friendship. And that's controversial right now because a lot of people say, I'm not your friend. I'm your parent. I'll always be your parent. And you wrote something about this. I think the article was, we absolutely made the right choice to be friends with our children. Before you answer, I'd love you to read the part of parenting is the ultimate friendship. Can you read that? And then we'll discuss it. Yeah, absolutely. So I said, parenting is the ultimate friendship. You'll always be bound by DNA to have a relationship, but friendship is a choice. Your children will reach an age when they can decide independently what type of a relationship they want to have with you. If you fostered a friendship their entire lives, there will be no decision to make. The friendship will continue to grow for the rest of your lives. It's never too late to make amends with your children to say, I did my best, but I was wrong. My intentions were good, but my execution went astray. I want to be your friend and I want to change how we interact, how we treat each other. I want us to love each other unconditionally, and I'm willing to work on that and earn your friendship. And when our sons were home for Christmas, we stayed up late one night talking and laughing. And I went to sleep thinking, ugh. Our best friends in the world are home and all is right with the world. I got goosebumps the first time I read that and I got goosebumps again because I am telling you there's not an adult, a parent of adult children in the world that doesn't want to go to bed feeling that way. Even if possibly listeners have not raised their kids with friendship and there still is that parent, it's a role rather than a relationship. What advice do you offer? How do we begin now to go to bed and feel like our best friends are in the house? Yeah, so I gave this a lot of thought. Um, you know, my husband and I decided early on that our home would be the bubble. It would be the place that was a refuge. We felt like in the world, it can be cruel, people can be cruel, but we wanted the walls of our home to be safe. We wanted to treat each other he and I, and our kids with respect and dignity. And we would agree to openly apologize when we didn't, because look, we're not all perfect. We certainly have bad days. But we also didn't allow people in our house that didn't respect this boundary. And that included family members, because we all needed a safe, loving place we wanted them to come home to. And by the way, when I say friend, I don't mean drinking, buddy. I don't mean they didn't have any boundaries. I mean, that's not even what a friend is. I mean, we listen to them. We were open to hearing from them. We stayed non-judgmental and we treated them with respect. And as I say in the post, here's the thing. 
Our children will live with us for about 18 years, and then we will likely continue an adult relationship with them for another 40 or 50 years. Lifelong relationships are built on love, trust, respect, and openness, and you cannot spend 18 years bossing someone around, not caring if they hate you, and then expect to have it all be a different relationship when they're an adult who's out of your house and no longer has to obey your rules. So we found, this is one thing, most families have what I call a common ground, something that all the members enjoy. It might be sports, it might be theater, it might be music. For our family, it's cooking and eating. (laughs) (laughs) It is. We spend a lot of ways, you know, finding new things, new restaurants. We've even planned an entire family vacation around going to this one specific restaurant on this one specific night. We share new recipes. We've even had a cooking class long distance with them and and ate dinner over FaceTime. I mean, so I say, find out what your family's common ground is. There's got to be something that kind of weaves you all together that you all have some interest in. That's one thing. And if you're really just starting and your kids are adult, I suggest having an honest conversation with them. It's never too late and you and your kids will be better off. I mean, if you say, I'm sorry for the times I wasn't the mother or father you you needed. You're an independent adult. I'm navigating how relationships change. I want us to be closer. What advice do you have for me? And then you've got to be willing to listen and to practice it. And I will say on a side note, this goes for their significant others as well. You've got to accept the person they've chosen to be with if they're with someone We're fortunate that we adore the people that our sons are with. But even if we didn't, we would find a way to connect with them and to like them. Because if you make your children choose between you and a significant other, you're going to lose. So you've got to find a way to incorporate those significant others into these conversations as well. But I think even just saying, I heard this podcast, I've been thinking about our relationship and I want to change it. You know, let's talk about it. I don't think there's a adult child out there that says, yeah, I have a bad relationship with my parents, but I don't care. I think deep inside, they want the connection as much as we do. Well, and that's interesting that you say that because as you talk, someone might say, well, everything's been you know, peachy keen with you. You've never had any issues, but you really did. I mean, one of the things that you're so well known about is speaking out about mental health. So that's hard to navigate in your safe home. You're dealing with someone who's really struggling. Tell us a little bit about that journey, because a lot of people listening might say, well, you don't get it. My kid was really hard to raise. I had to do X, Y, or Z. Well, you had your challenges too, and you navigated them. So thoughts on that would be great. Yes. I would have said before that we knew everything going on in our kids' lives, or at least the parts they wanted us to know, and that we were a really open family. As I said, you know, we tried to build this bubble. We talked very openly. We apologized when things weren't, didn't go well. And yet my son, um, when he was a junior in high school, came to me one night. I was at home watching TV. My husband was out coaching a lacrosse game. And he came into my room and he said very seriously, mom, can we talk? And I mean, I could tell, Denise, you can tell when something serious is going on with one of your kids. I was like, okay, turn off the TV, give him my full attention. And I said, yeah, what's going on? And I'm thinking, oh, he's studying for finals. He's getting ready for the summer. He's thinking about college. Never in my wildest dreams did I think he was going to say what he said next, which is I'm depressed. I mean, I'm seriously depressed and have been for a long time. And this is one of those cases where... Uh, I hear your podcast in my mind, bite your tongue. 
because the things I was thinking was, oh, you're not depressed. I would know you, you know, you, you're, you live right across the hall from my office. I hear you laughing. You're fine. You're just nervous. You're just, you know, whatever. And just blow it off. That was the first thing that came in my head. And the part that I would know, I'm your mother, I would know, so you can't be depressed. Also, I'm thinking, how do I not know this? He's obviously being very serious. So this is very hard for him. How in the world did I not, how did I miss this? How did I, and then I went, wait a minute, not about you, it's about him. So I just like stopped. I mean, that was like seconds, but it felt like an hour. And I finally found the words to say, thank you so much for telling me. Thank you for trusting me. Let's sit and talk about what you're going through and we'll figure out how to get you help. And I'm telling you what a weight was lifted off his shoulder, Denise. He sat down. We talked for the next hour about everything that had been going on. And it's interesting, my husband was coming home and he was about to walk into all of this and I didn't have any chance to warn him. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's going to catch him off guard too. Thankfully, he was amazing. He sat down with us and we started talking. And you know, what I would tell you is we found out later he'd been struggling since he was nine years old. He's now 17 at the time. He did not have the words to tell us the language to tell us what was going on, because we had talked in our family about mental health. We had talked openly about depression, but we had always thought of depression as sad, lethargic, can't get out of bed. And that was not what my son was feeling. So we've learned, and I'm not a mental health professional, but we have learned that teens and young adults and even kids manifest depression, anxiety issues, mental health issues very differently. So for them, it was For him, it was a numbness, a darkness, a feeling like he's the only person who feels this way, but he didn't associate it with the word depression. So he didn't know what he was going through. And he was just white knuckling it, trying to get through, even though on the outside, he seemed perfectly fine, laughing, having a good time. And it wasn't till a teacher, they were going to be doing a play, and the teacher talked about how it was going to talk about mental health, and she was very open about what that meant. And she asked anyone who was struggling with that to please come talk to her so that everyone would be okay doing this play. He went to see her and said, oh my gosh, this perfectly describes me. I I had no idea this is what this is. And she encouraged him to tell us that night. And thankfully, I mean, you can imagine she holds such a special place in our heart because he could have gone to the wrong person, but he didn't. And he told us that night because he promised her that he would. And we all sat there and talked and said, okay, let's talk about this. Let's get you to a therapist. Let's get you to the doctor to see if you need medication. You know, let's all get on the same page. Tell us what's going on. And and we came up with a plan all together. I don't know if you want me to go into the rest of the journey now or a little bit later. It's up to you, but that's kind of how it all started. No, I'd, I'd love to hear. I guess for me, a couple of things go through my mind. One is that Yes, you bit your tongue and said all the right things, but it doesn't mean it wasn't haunting you. You weren't not letting go of that fear of helping him through this, number one. Number two is, and I hear this all the time, especially when our young adult children live away from us, you're right. They can be happy, laughing. And I wonder, someone once told me, they're out, they're having a great time, but they come home and realize they didn't feel joy in that experience. So where you said the emptiness, the hollowness, you know, that sort of thing, everyone else thought they were having a great time, but they weren't finding the joy in life. Not all kids are going to come tell their parents. I mean, you've read the stories and I I hate to even think about this, but we did do an episode on mental health and I 
held so closely to this. People don't die by suicide. They die from mental health disease. And people have to realize it's a disease. How a parent of an adult child feels when they find out something like that their child did or is considering far away, how do we encourage them to talk to us or know that they need the help? That's probably the biggest worry in almost all parents of adult kids' heads. Is my child happy? Are they understanding what mental health disease is? Are they paying attention to that? Yeah, I do have some ideas. And I'll tell you one thing that you said about it haunting me. Yes, in that night, I said the right things. But when I woke up in the middle of the night, I thought, oh, my God, what an awful mother you are. How could you not have known this child that you love so much? You have such a good relationship. What is wrong with you that you didn't know? I beat myself up. I can't even tell you how long. My husband did, too. And finally, we had to say, "Okay, look, this isn't helping. This isn't making it better. This isn't helping. And my son wasn't blaming us. We, as you can imagine, after this, we had a lot of really all the cards on the table kind of conversations. And my son said to me, the other reason I didn't tell you is it scared me and I didn't want to scare you when I was little. And I thought, oh my gosh, if you knew how scared I was all the time anyway, (laughs) kind of broke my heart. But he said, I never expected you to know. And he said, I don't even know if I hid it intentionally. I just wanted to be okay and seem okay. And I didn't want you to worry. So I think there's times that, you know, we just, we just don't know. And I'll tell you, he was getting better on medication, going to therapy. The therapist was amazing, thankfully, because I'm sure, you know, that's not always an easy process to find the right therapist. Really hard. Really hard. And so worth the, what it takes to find one. He went off to college. He chose to live alone. Yes, that scared me. Um, he had told us he was not suicidal. I know this is controversial if you talk to your kids and use those words, but everything we've seen says you've got to ask them. If you don't know, then, then it could be you're not, it's not going to manifest when you talk about these things. It's not going to make something happen in them. Right. But anyway, he went off to school and we were just kind of holding our breaths and we're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, how are we going to know? And an amazing thing happened when he got there. And then I'll give you a couple of ideas for other people. But um, he went to this orientation and they did this thing called Dear World, where you write your story on your body in this dark marker. And he said it was so great. And he couldn't wait. They had a professional photo. He would send us the photo. I said, well, what did you write? And he goes, well, wait till you get it. So my husband and I opened the photo and there he is. And I'll show you. I have the... Here he is standing here and it says, I can feel daylight. Is that what it says? I can feel the daylight. And in his hand, it says again. Oh my gosh. And I thought, Denise, he couldn't even tell us. He's a writer. He is. He is actually a better writer than me. He couldn't even tell us. And now he's telling strangers and him telling these strangers was helping other people too. Yeah. And so long story short, I started writing about our experience. I really wanted to help other parents because what I saw was anytime we talked about it, it was whispers, shame, stigma. Uh, we weren't ashamed, but everybody else was very uncomfortable. So I wrote a post about what we experienced. And I said to my son, can I use my name? Because I could have done it anonymously. He said, yes. In fact, you can use the photo, the photo I just showed you. And I thought, oh my gosh. Someone's going to see his face and see that he looks like your kid, my kid. He's not scary looking. I think people feel like someone struggling from mental health somehow looks like it. They don't. I sent this to Grown and Flown. 
Oh my gosh. It went viral. It was the number five post of the year. Mary Dell and uh, Lisa told me it was a sea change in their website because people wanted to talk about it, wanted to read about it, and wanted to now share personal stories with their names and not and know that you don't have to be ashamed. So that was amazing. And really, it went to Will and I becoming mental health advocates. A lot of this is what led to us being on CBS this morning. We felt very strongly about speaking openly, using our names, letting them see his face. But I'll tell you something, as we were about to do this interview with CBS with Mark Straussman, I mean, they're in our house, cameras have been set up, we're starting to talk. And I looked at Will and I said, I don't think we should do this. <laughs> he goes, why? And I think I just went in protective mom mode, Denise, like, mm -hmm. what if this doesn't go well? What if he gets all these negative comments? What if this hurts his progress? And I said, I just, I, it's a bad idea. And he said, mom, it's going to be fine. It's just a conversation and it's going to help families who don't know their kids are suffering. And I'm telling you, I could have lost it right there. It would have ruined my makeup. But I looked at him and I said, <laughs> okay, if you can be brave, I can be brave. And I keep thinking about those words anytime we go to do an event or talk and share our story. And as I'm preparing, I think it's going to be fine. It's just a conversation and it's going to help someone. So I have two suggestions for you as we were talking about how do we do this with other families. You do have to have these open conversations. In fact, two years later, I flew to see him at school. And on the plane ride there, Denise, I started convincing myself that he wasn't okay and he hasn't told me. And I didn't know the first time. So how would I know now when he's thousands of miles away? And when we landed, he met me and I was like, are you okay? I mean, I know I just like dumped on him. He's like, yeah, why? And I go, and I was honest. I go, I just convinced myself that you're really struggling. You just haven't told me. He goes, mom, I'm good. And here's how I can prove to you that I'm good. Here are the coping mechanisms I now use when I feel myself spiraling. And he started talking and I was like, okay, calm down, you know, but these honest conversations, if I hadn't said that to him, I would have built it up in my own head. And it also gave him the chance to say, you're right. I'm not okay. So we made this agreement. One of the things he would say he was tired. And that got to be our code for I'm having like a hard time. When I heard him say that, sometimes I'd say, hey, what's going on? And one time he said it and I'm like, are you okay? And he goes, oh, no, I mean, I'm really just tired. I, I, I don't think we need that code word anymore. I'm like, okay. But two other things. Yeah. I just want to say he probably doesn't want that to be his identity his whole life either. He doesn't. He knows he's going to have it his whole life. Right. But he knows he's much more than it. More than that. Right, right. You're right. Absolutely. Two ideas that I have. One of these came from a, um, a parent in an audience of a talk that I was giving. Oh, I wish I had done this. So she said, if you have younger kids or you know someone who does, take them to a therapist every year for a checkup, just like you take them to a pediatrician. Now, some pediatricians are getting better about asking about mental health, but taking them to a therapist normalizes it. So as they get older and they have issues, they've got someone they're comfortable talking with. Because one of the biggest hurdles is, oh my God, we're in crisis mode and I've got to find a therapist they click with today. You know, that's just not feasible. So I love that idea. And you normalize talking about mental health. So that was one thing. The second thing is this amazing book. And it's written by a woman. Um, it's a nonprofit. So it's not uh, here to make a bunch of money. Um, but it's a book called Ezra's Invisible Backpack. 
And it tells the story of how we all carry backpacks that other people can't see. And in those backpacks are bricks. And it might be I'm having a hard day or it might be my child is gravely ill. I mean, they're, the bricks can be very heavy. And it talks about how about empathy. Now, it doesn't say mental health. It doesn't say depression, anxiety. It just talks about these concepts about talking about difficult feelings. And I love the book. It's very inclusive. The drawings are amazing. I let Will have it when I found it a couple of years ago. And he said, like the best endorsement for this book. He said, Mom, if that book had been in my school or in our home, I would have had the language to tell you what I was going through when I was much younger. He could have come home and said, Mom, my backpack is so full of bricks, I can hardly carry it. Okay, Denise, I would know that. That's serious. Mm -hmm. And it's language that we can use as adults as well. So it's not just for kids, but I think every family should have it. Every school should have it. I've given it to therapists that's now in their office. And they say, even my teenage patients pick it up and read about it and then start using that language when they talk to me. I just love that. So I think there's things that we can do, but the biggest thing is normalize talking about mental health. I think you're right. And I, I love the idea of that book. And I do think it's, I mean, I think I'm going to get it. I think it's easy to talk about in that we all are carrying bricks and you're not exactly. saying to your kid, I think you have mental health disease rather than we all are carrying so many struggles and so many ups and so many downs. When your backpack gets too heavy, it's time to talk to someone. So that's not saying to your kid, hey, 30 year old, I think you need to see a therapist. You're depressed. You can say, how's your backpack feel? Yeah. What's in it today? Yeah. What's in it today? Okay. You wrote an article called What's Important Now? Now that my children are gone, what is my purpose? Again, I don't think there's a parent out there that doesn't feel that way. And you say that even though you know, you, you're still working in corporate America, being a mom wasn't your only identity, but it was still hard. So again, before we start, I want you to read that one part that you wrote, and then we'll talk about it. Okay? Awesome. Yeah. So throughout our lives, our priorities shift, but as every parent knows, having children is a complete game changer, no matter how independent or driven you are. Seeing another city, adding to your shoe collection, trying a new restaurant or getting a promotion all becomes less significant. You juggle your relationships, career, dreams, and everything else around your kids. Even your relationship with your spouse or significant other changes. You know there's a human on this earth who cannot survive without you, and you would do anything and everything to ensure their health and happiness. As your kids get older, they need you less for sheer survival, but more as a guide through life. Root them on and help them become independent beings. As a parent who can attest, this is harder than it sounds for you and for them. But eventually they will leave your home and head out into the world on their own. While they are growing up, there's little time to think about the big things. You're so busy making sure that at least most of the balls you're juggling are staying in the air. But with an empty nest comes the time to ponder the bigger questions in life. Gosh, I don't know why all your writing just really impacts me. But so let's talk about the empty nest. And you also address, and this is something I've talked about, and I don't think everyone completely gets it, how it changes from when they're in college to when they're on their own. So I hear people say, oh, my kid's going to college. I'm like, just wait. <laughs> so can you address this and offer some advice to our listeners who are finding themselves in similar positions? And also at the end, you had some questions that parents should ask themselves. Yeah, and you're, you are spot on. I thought the same thing. My kids went, oh, my kids are independent. No, they're not. We're paying some of those expenses. 
we still have some control. You need to come home. You, you know, I mean, there's still some strings attached, but when they're completely independent and financially independent living on their own, no strings, you're relying completely on the relationship now. You know, I would say when our kids first left, an array of emotions. And I think it's okay, whatever you feel. One day you're thrilled to have the house to yourself. The next day you cannot believe how quiet the house is. One day you're excited because they're gone. And then you're like, oh my gosh, they're gone. I mean, so whatever you're feeling, I think is absolutely fine. One thing was a couple of the differences, like you asked, when they went to college, we asked them to come home for every holiday. We said, you can bring friends with you, but we want you to be here. After college, we have no expectation of them coming home for holidays. We know they're leading independent lives. They have significant others and friends. We did not expect them to come home. We hoped that they would. And we actually see each other really often. So I'll admit when they come home, we roll out the red carpet, their favorite food, their favorite things to drink. We put flowers in their room. I mean, we kind of go overboard, but we want this to be a place of refuge. So when they come home, it's relaxing. And it's a place they want to be because they have a choice, you know, and I would also say a big difference is we're more upfront and honest about things that are going on. So, for example, in college, we might have said, hey, you know, dad had a test and everything's fine. We just wanted you to know. Whereas now we might say, hey, guys, um, dad's having to go in for this test. Here's what they think is going on. And what has been great is because they're independent adults with their own lives and they're grown men, they were so supportive when we've gone through things. We've talked more openly about family issues, like extended family issues that we might have sugarcoated a little when they were younger. It goes back to that as they mature, you have a different relationship. And we truly see them as equal people in the world. We're open to their ideas, their thoughts. We want them to understand, you know, what's going on with ours. So we are a lot more open in the things that we talk to them about. And also a quick little story. Um, I used to tell them their birth story every year growing up when we would look at photos and all that on their birthday. And one year, my son sent to me a, a thing of flowers on his birthday. And it just said, thanks for doing all the hard work. So I must have really emphasized how difficult that birth was. <laughs> But it was so awesome because and when you start getting the appreciation back that you don't ask for the day that they say to you, hey, you know what? We had it pretty good growing up is like, yes, that's every parent's dream. Right. And sometimes it takes many, many, many years. But I just think we're very open. We say things like I miss you. We have fam, fam spam, you know, group texts, family, mm -hmm. family messages. I'll send photos of when they were kids. Oh, my God, are you two not just so adorable? little things to pick them up during the day. And I don't go overboard, but I just really try to find ways to stay in touch. Occasionally, we'll send photos. My husband and I go out someplace fun, like a concert. We send a photo like, hey, look at us. We're not just home being sad. <laughs> My son said one day, he said one time, mom, it's so reassuring to see you and dad out doing things so that we know that you're okay. Never crossed my mind, Denise, that they would be thinking, are you okay? We were just trying to send the message like, we're having fun. Aren't we fun? But um, I think they they love it. They love to see what we're doing. And we want to see what they're doing. I will share this. This was cool. My son called one time and he said, hey, I'm considering two jobs. And I really just wanted to run it by you and see what you guys think. He did not want us to tell him what job to take. He was calling on us, not as parents, but as two people who have been in corporate America for many, many years. And he said, here are my options. Here's what I'm thinking. 
And when we gave him anything, it was very objective based on our work experience. It wasn't, this is what you should do, or this is what we think you should do, or we would do. It had to be his decision. But we hung up from talking to him and just looked at each other. And we were like, oh, that was so cool. We were all talking like three just adults trying to you know, figure something out. I just loved it. And I savor those kind of moments because I think that shows the strength of your relationship when they trust you to be an advisor. That's very true. Now, let's ask just a few of those questions parents should ask themselves. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So a couple of things. I would just kind of get your head in a space where you're open-minded. You you don't have interruptions and just be thinking of things like, who am I now? Where does work fit in if you're working and for how much longer? What significance does this job have now, more or less? What do I want to get out of my marriage and my partner? Where do my friendships fit in? How do I continue to grow my relationship with my adult children and my partner and their partner? What do I want to do for fun and creativity? What is my purpose now that I'm no longer needed in the same way as a mom? Should I be doing something more significant, taking on something you know bigger? And what are my dreams now that my time is my own? What is really important to me now? I love that. And I love it. Even my husband's recently retired. And I think this can relate not just to moms, but what does he want to do? How does he see his life? I'm going to actually print those out and say to him, let's, let's talk about these. Because I think that's important for all of us to also talk to our spouses about. I agree. Anyway, Tracy, this has been great. I've learned a lot. And I'm going to follow up because my son comes home tomorrow. And I'm going to practice a few of those things. And I'm going to let you know how it worked for me. Okay? Yes, I can't wait. Before we close, I want you to leave our listeners with two or three pieces of advice you hope they garnered from this uh, episode. Awesome. So I would say ask questions of your kids, your spouse, your significant other, your family, and really listen to the answers without judgment. Think about some things that you've always wondered. Like, what's it like to be a man in the working world today? I mean, I don't know. I'd love to hear from his perspective. What is that like for you? What challenges do you face? How do you define success? So ask those kind of questions that don't have a yes or no answer and then really listen. And if they come to you for advice, be thinking about, I'm here to support. I'm really not here to give an answer. I had my son come to me one time and I said, are you looking for comfort or solutions? (laughs) Do you want me just to agree or you really want my opinion? And if they don't want your opinion, don't give it. That is the best. Say that one more time. Are you looking for comfort or solutions? Yeah. Because you need to know that. Yeah. Exactly. How do I help you here? How do I help you here? Yes, that's terrific. So, you know, I would say their entire lives, we really tried to be honest with them. And if we made a mistake, we might say, hey, look, you know what? That really wasn't right of us to argue in front of you. We're going to take that into our bedroom and figure this out. And we're going to come back when it's done. You know, I mean, just little things, just to acknowledge, I don't have all the answers. We changed our minds sometimes when our kids asked us if they could do something. And we said, look, you know what? I like the side that you presented and we've changed our minds. Like you don't have to be perfect. Denise, when we seem perfect, our kids don't know how to be imperfect. We have to model what imperfection looks like. We have to model, I'm overwhelmed. I'm sad about this. My feelings were really hurt. And I don't mean on a regular basis. And I don't mean burden them with every problem we have. That's what you know, friends and significant others are for. But I do think it's okay to be human in front of them at age appropriate times. 
and allow them to be human with you. And I, and I remember I went on a trip. I was meeting my son. I was having a really hard time at work. And he said, are you okay? And every other time I would have said, I'm fine. I would have choked back the tears. I would have moved on. And I said, you know, I'm really not. I'm really struggling at work. And he was like, all right, well, tell me what's going on. Well, the two of us sat there and talked. And I'm telling you, I walked away like that was the best therapy session. I gave him the chance to be the one to give the advice. And it was amazing. And then the last thing I would say, emptiness can be so freeing. Take this time to be willing to step out and dare to do something you've wanted to do. Go easy on yourself if it doesn't work. Try it again. And, you know, I told my therapist, I always have things planned. I know the next thing and the goal and how to get there. And, you know, but I'm coming to a point in my life where that's just not as important. And I really kind of feel lost. And she said, well, stop planning and start thinking about how you want it to feel. And I was like, oh, this is therapy talk. You know, how does that make you feel? She goes, no, no, no. Don't think about where you're going. But how do you want to feel? And I said, well, I want to be inspired. I want to bring joy. I want to help other people. I want to serve other people. Hey, abundance and prosperity would be nice too. Um, you know, I, I named all these things and she goes, then focus on that. Focus on how you want to feel. And I thought, oh my gosh, I don't have to know where I'm going. I just know that I'm going to get there and I, and I know where I'm headed and I know how I'm going to feel when I get there. So I think for a lot of us, especially if you're a doer and a planner, that's very difficult. But this time in our lives, this is the best time to try those things. You're absolutely right. I am so glad you found your voice. That's all I'm going to oh, say. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. And we really appreciate it. And keep on writing. Thank you. And we'll all listen. And I'll say, share all your blogs and everything on um, in the episode notes. Okay. So awesome. thanks again, Tracy. Have a great day. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks to all of you for joining us. What a refreshing interview. I'm definitely going to work on some of her advice for starting casual conversations with our adult children. I tend to go for the jugular a bit too often. Thanks also to Connie Gorant Fisher, our audio engineer. Again, remember to follow us on social media and write to us at biteyourtonguepodcast at gmail.com with comments or suggestions. We appreciate all the feedback. And until next time, remember, sometimes you just have to bite your tongue.